When we talk about substance abuse and its effects, it's usually in context of our physical health. But what we don't talk about is how it also affects our mental health negatively. On this episode of Yours Mentally, we talk about the psychology behind substance abuse and how it affects us. This episode is in conversation with Shaira Kohli, who is a counseling psychologist. So without further ado, let's get right into the episode. So on today's episode where we talk about psychology of people that engage in substance abuse, Shaira, my first question to you is, what are the various substances that can be abused and what are the effects that they have on us? Right. So uh, while substances can be divided into various classes, depending on certain different things like their chemical makeup, the kind of effect that they have on the brain and the body, as well as their legal manifestations, the most common classification is on the basis of effect. So since your question is also asking me about the effects, we can cover that classification. Mm -hmm. And under this, the first category are the depressants. So the sedatives, the anti-anxiety drugs, even alcohol for that matter can be a depressant. And in terms of effect, what they do is they depress or slow down the function of our central nervous system. So the rate at which the messages are going from the brain to the rest of the body, that slows down. Mm -hmm. And in small quantities, it makes us feel more relaxed and less inhibited. So, you know, that is why maybe when we have a little bit of alcohol, we feel a little relaxed and a little more at ease. Mm-hmm. Then on the other end of the spectrum, we have stimulants, which is right the opposite. So something like caffeine, cocaine in the hard drug category, amphetamines, they are stimulants and they speed up the functioning of the central nervous system. And this actually makes us rather than relaxed, it makes us more alert and more confident. Alcohol for that matter can be both a depressant and a stimulant, uh, depending on the quantity in which we are consuming it. In lesser quantity, it is a stimulant. That is why, you know, you might see people uh, dancing a lot, talking to other people, being a little more excited to having a little bit of alcohol. But after a consumption of large quantities, that's when you start notes noticing maybe the slurred speech and the motor movements becoming a little off. So that is when it becomes a depressant. Another popular category is the hallucinogens in which we have marijuana, we have LSD. What they do is they distort our sense of reality. So a person may see or hear things that are not really there or they may see things in a very distorted way. A lot of people ask me, what are these, uh, you know, painkiller, sorry, these paint thinners or nail polish removers that people are sniffing? So mm-hmm. these come come under the category of inhalants. Mm-hmm. You, know, you must have heard of kids doing this in school. So this Quite is a no, common no. one. <laughs> this is a common one over there. So yeah. while there are a lot of other categories also, these are the main ones that people generally consume. Talking about the effects, the second part of the answer, I did talk a lot about the biological effects that mm-hmm they hold specifically each of these classes. Mm -hmm. There is one other common biological effect that all of them hold. And that is, of course, the addiction part of it, the addictive property of these. So what they do is they do kind of change the chemistry and the biology of the brain. They release certain chemicals that activate what we call the reward system (laughs) in our brain. Mm -hmm. And once that happens, the brain kind of wants more and more of it. Mm. So that comes under, again, the biological effect. 
but there are also a lot of psychological and social effects of mm-hmm. uh, substance abuse from short term effects when we are consuming the substance or maybe a little while also after we have consumed the substance some mm-hmm. of them can be a change in appetite some people lose their sleep the cognitive ability gets compromised and of course there is also a temporary sense of euphoria that we feel mm-hmm. while the long term effects can be a lot more debilitating some of them can even you know provide a window into other mental health disorders like depression and anxiety something that we very commonly hear are accidents and injuries happening that is another psychosocial effect of it you might notice the physical appearance changing of certain people weight loss is another common one Mm-hmm. and not just the behavior towards the substance but the general behavior can also become uh, risk taking and impulsive so these are you know just summarizing the effects of what they have in common all substances and specifically also they can vary so shaira what are the causes of addiction and can you tell us why we do something even though we know it's going to be harmful for us right so uh, addiction i would say it's like a disease, uh, a dish that has a lot of ingredients mixed up in it so there's not one cause but we have a multitude of factors causing addiction and you know despite knowing its harmful effects right from the start we might still end up indulging in it mm-hmm. so to begin with i would say the addictive property that the substance holds we may indulge in a substance once but whether we're going to do it again or not does depend on what is it that it is causing in our brain right i mm-hmm. spoke about the reward system that was one thing mm-hmm. and every substance actually holds a different addictive property heroin for example is one of the most has one of the most highest abuse potential so if you actually mm-hmm. use it once you can become addicted to it Mm-hmm. as opposed to some other drugs which you might have to use a little more to become addicted to it so that is one another i would say most sought after theory that explains the cause of addiction uh, is the diathesis stress model mm-hmm. which basically tells us about the predisposition that a person has to develop addiction so even before you may pick up your first glass of alcohol or smoke your first cigarette we do hold a certain vulnerability some people may be more vulnerable for that first to become an addiction as opposed to other people and this diathesis can also be divided into three different categories so we can have a biological diathesis a psychological one and a socio cultural one biology is our genetics being passed on from one generation to another one of the studies actually found that one thirds of alcoholics had at least one alcoholic parent Mm. so okay. it can be that strong the genetic factor mm. then we have the psychological factor so it the personality of a person makes up one of the psychological factors people in general who have behaviors that are impulsive that are risk taking or maybe a little uh, emotionally unstable mm-hmm. can be more prone to develop an addiction in addition to that early childhood experiences the kind of trauma mm-hmm. that a person may have faced in childhood the peer pressure surrounding it the acceptance of certain substances as a social lubricant to gain acceptance is one other cause and that is also a socio cultural cause like if you see alcohol itself in a lot of cultures it is very highly acceptable which is why you know around you you might see a lot of people more openly indulging in alcohol as opposed to other substances because mm-hmm. it's accepted and it is easily available mm-hmm. it it beyond a certain age it's not illegal to buy it mm-hmm. 
even though the effects may be as harmful or even more harmful in the long run i feel like for our generation peer pressure is like a huge thing for yeah. you know getting into alcohol drugs smoking all of this like i think now more than before i've seen it happen so much and even yeah. in, even in this pandemic though it's gone even higher i've seen so many people drinking yeah. going out you know mm-hmm. um right. and and i think reasons that they give is because of stress and all of that which i don't believe most of the times mm-hmm. i don't believe it because like I, it's just very clear that it's because of peer pressure mm-hmm. right but then sometimes mm-hmm. i feel like maybe i'm also wrong what if doing these things i know if it's i know it is wrong but what if it is their way of escapism what if it is mm. helping them in a way you know i mean obviously in the long run it's definitely not helpful mm. but if in the short run it is helping them i feel like forget me i don't think anyone should be you know judging them on it right. yeah. their personality right, or mm. anything i feel like even now a lot of people do drugs which is obviously wrong Hmm. but like people who judge them for it they don't really know the reason behind them doing drugs or like you know what has led them to do it they they just very quick to judge them hmm. i feel like now like we live in a generation where instead of trying to help someone we just distance ourselves from them yeah. like i hear this very lot like even parents are like oh you know this friend of yours smokes does drugs stay away from him i feel hmm. like why not try to help him get out of it mm-hmm. or be with him you yeah. know i feel like right. i i say this a lot Right that's a very good point that you've uh, you know raised regarding help as it's something that's looked down upon so much uh, people don't believe that oh, they, they actually need help for it yeah. they might not have as much control over it as they think they do that's a very good point that you've raised here so shaira are people genetically predisposed to sort of getting addicted or does it all depend on their lifestyle and experiences so in the previous question only i had explained something called the diathesis stress model mm-hmm. so if we go by that then it is actually both of them in varying measures so we do have the genetic factors which are the biological factors and then we do have our lifestyle experience which all make up our psychological and social factors so i'll just give this to you with the help of an example to better explain it mm-hmm. let's say if genetics are providing us with a 50% vulnerability then the other 50% would have to be covered by the psychosocial factors let's say personality traits or exposure to the substance how many stressors are there in the environment and if on the other hand let's say the gen- genetic predisposition is very low maybe 10% and a person is still developing an addiction that mm-hmm. means that the other 90% of the predisposition is being provided by their environment so this person could have maybe gone through a lot of childhood trauma it could be the easy acceptance of the substance in the environment it could be a perpetuating life stressor as well so it's a mix of both and how much is you know basically depends they, they depend on each other it's overlapping in a way right right so can you explain what the brain is like when you're on drugs and in what day, what way do we feel and behave differently like you know people are like oh you go to another dimension like could you explain mm-hmm. that yeah so a, a lot is actually happening to the brain on drugs mm-hmm. any kind of substance that we use whether it's alcohol whether it's even caffeine something that may not be as strong when it's consumed in a little quantity like you know a cup of coffee even that is doing something to our brain 
So what it does is that cells in the brain that we have, we call these the neurons. So this is going to be a little bit of a clinical answer since it it's on the brain. So just mm-hmm. bear with me. Yeah. So what it does is these neurons are involved in how the signals are received and sent and processed by the brain. Drugs interfere with these neurons and how they these neurons you know work on these signals with the help of the chemicals that are there in the brain so there are some drugs like uh, marijuana and heroin they can activate the neurons because their chemical structure kind of mimics the brain's own chemicals although it is like that but then it doesn't activate the neurons in the same way that a natural chemical would do so it you know it can happen that abnormal messages are being sent throughout the brain then there are other kind of drugs uh, taking cocaine for example what they do is they they can cause the neurons to release a large amount of natural chemicals dopamine for instance that's our happy chemical that we spoke about before so mm-hmm. once cocaine is consumed the brain is releasing a lot of dopamine and while this dopamine it it may not be directly responsible for using a substance for the first time but the perpetuated use of it can be influenced by it because once we get that high once we feel that good the brain wants it more so yeah. uh, that is one thing this is with respect to the chemicals in the brain it does influence different areas in the brain also so for example there is an area in our brain that is responsible for motivation including uh, the motivation that we get from the pleasurable effects of certain activities like let's say eating you know we mm-hmm. f- see good food we enjoy good food and there is a motivation to consume it again and this part of the brain uh, i'll name it it's called the basal ganglia and this is this then leads to the formation of a habit so addiction in a way is like a habit then there is another part of the brain that's called the amygdala this is involved in all the stressful feelings that we are having like anxiety irritability and these are the things that characterize withdrawal after that drug high fades away which further motivates the person to seek the drug again mm-hmm. and you know eventually it becomes like this that rather than consuming the drug to get a high we are consuming the drug to just get a temporary relief from these feelings right. so it becomes more of you know i want to relieve myself of feeling so irritable or getting those withdrawal symptoms then actually that initial high that we used to get when you know one would do it in the start one more thing that it does influence is the higher order functions of our brain like um the way we solve problems the way we make decisions how we think our impulse control these are the higher order functions of our brain and these are also controlled by a part of the brain that we call the prefrontal cortex mm-hmm. and one of the reasons why teens are more vulnerable to consume you know teenagers or younger people are more vulnerable to get addicted or get into the influence of these substances is because this is also the part of the brain that matures the last so uh, i hope that answers your question while this is not all encompassing but these are probably the main effects that it has on the brain uh, would you would you say that people who take drugs and you know who say they go to a different dimension do they do you think they do it as a form of escapism or looking at like the current generation do you think mm. it's rather peer pressure more than escapism from their problems this makes up all the social factors that are there in our surroundings substance use uh, you know especially when we go back to school if i go back to my time 
you know i i i could imagine this uh, group of popular boys and what they would do is after school they would go to this particular area behind school and they would all smoke Mm-hmm. and you know all the girls used to think oh my god these you know boys are so wow cool, you know and you know. yeah cool and they became very popular that is because the image that has been established of you know having a cigarette in our in our hands and smoking in our society is of you know being very cool and being very uh, nonchalant media exposure has got a huge role to play in this mm-hmm. uh, you know while movies they do give a disclaimer that okay uh, you know of that non smoking ad that is very repulsive but at the same time in the same movie we are going to see the protagonist of the movie looking very cool with his sunglasses and a cigarette in his hand and then we as as young uh, teenagers and adolescents growing up it does serve as an influence it does serve as a role model yeah, so yeah i agree yeah i feel like so many kids uh, you know i mean i've seen it it's a little mm. funny i mean i i don't blame them but they asked their parents to buy them a cigarette because their favorite hero in the movie is smoking mm. it they're like if he if he or she can do it why why not me you know <laughs> right, i don't think absolutely. they understand that it's not right i mean obviously it just it says over there the warning smoking is injurious to health and all mm. but what do they those kids know right because that's the long term effect right the temporary yeah. uh, satisfaction the temporary coolness is what uh, the immediate gratification is what the brain wants Yeah. What do you think is the connection between childhood trauma and lifelong addiction? Right. So childhood trauma does play a very vital role in developing addiction as well as sustaining addiction. So if I talk about uh, a very famous study that was conducted, it said that the early childhood experience of having a stable family or having the right parental guidance was actually lacking in a in families of a lot of substance abusers. so the kind of environment that is provided around the child the kind of relationship that the child holds with the adults uh, in their surrounding while growing up does play a huge role one another important thing that plays a role both in uh, genetics that we had spoken about but at the same time is an environmental factor also is that if the parent is a substance abuser because what happens is that this person is our role model growing up knowingly or unknowingly and if the parent is consuming or abusing the substance then it is seen as a validation that okay my parents are doing it it's something that must be normal to do uh, a child would never think that my parent is doing something wrong un- unless probably they reach a certain age and have that understanding of it family dysfunction and stress is also caused in case there is a parent substance abuser there can be marital conflict there can be issues there can be financial issues Uh, growing up that a child may experience because of the parent being an addict also the part that an addict parent would play in their child's life would also be a lot different than as opposed to a, a non addict parent also one very important factor that plays uh, you know a role is like we have seen this a lot that child sexual abuse is something that does that is linked to substance abuse later in life also so not something that is just an immediate relief but it has seen to sustain a lot later in life as well so if these protective factors of maybe having a stable interpersonal relationship a protective environment around them good teaching good learning then if these protective factors are not present then 
even if the child picks up on a certain habit in early in their lives it it may end up sustaining for a longer time and maybe even throughout their lives without the presence of those protective factors what does treatment and therapy in a rehabilitation center look like like if you are to simply very mm-hmm. simply explain it. so uh, first and foremost of course a complete cut off from access to the substance so you're in a place where you will not get the substance mm-hmm. i mean after this the withdrawal symptoms can come up but medis- medication is often used to kind of cope with those withdrawal symptoms mm-hmm. and there are a lot of lifestyle changes routine a particular schedule is set for you know people often living in a rehabilitation center coming to the therapy part of it different kinds of therapy can be used the most common ones worldwide are um the 12 steps of alcoholics anonymous so that is something that has been adapted to any kind of an addiction then there's cognitive behavioral therapy there's group therapy family therapy since it affects the family also motivational enhancement therapy so these are some of the common therapies and there are a lot of support groups worldwide mm-hmm. uh, a lot of sharing circles that continue even post discharge so for example if an AA meeting and alcoholics anonymous meeting is happening at a particular time then it's happening at that time every day everywhere in the world so mm-hmm. it's it's you know a set system and even after that it it has a sponsorship system where you select a sponsor who is like a, a mentor for you and any kind of situation where you feel that you're going to have the urge to consume the substance again or you're in a stressful situation you can always call up your sponsor and you know most often of the times your sponsor will be there for you so it's a pretty strong uh, system then post just discharge there's also something called rehabilitation although mm-hmm. it's it's called a rehab facility but even after discharge rehabilitation is important because a lot of these people have lost their livelihood may have lost their families may have lost a home so if we take them out of that situation and put them in another stressful situation then it could trigger the use again and i would say aftercare and ongoing recovery is something that can go on for a very long time for a lot of people they would like to continue it throughout life so that they don't get uh back to the substance since it is a very relapse prone uh disorder do you think addiction is a choice or a disease oh addiction is a disease i'm in loud and clear mm-hmm. and you know this is not just an opinion but i think years have uh, years of research have now strongly backed it up even the dsm it recognizes substance use disorders as disorders and not simply a choice Mm-hmm. we've discussed the established causes we've discussed the genetic predisposition the changes in the brain chemistry the distress that it leads to it impacts our areas of functioning and most important importantly it needs treatment mm-hmm. in fact if addiction is present and there are other comorbid disorders also let's say depression or anxiety then mm-hmm. addiction becomes the primary diagnosis so i think it's high time that we do recognize addiction as a disease now and not just a choice yeah fair enough okay and uh, lastly can you tell our listeners about a few steps they must take if they know that a loved one is on the way to get addicted already is addicted and mm. how can they help them like in the simplest way possible right right i think this is a very pertinent question because you know after um, listening to the podcast i'm sure there would be people who would want to know that okay we know now and what is it that we do yeah so you know as i said having a loved one having a strong interpersonal relationship serves as a protective factor 
and it does you know a person does have a greater chance of overcoming addiction if they have that support but there are a few very important things to keep in mind number 1 it's not going to be very direct and easy to approach somebody with an addiction because with addiction what comes is denial and resistance because this is a disorder that is giving me a temporary sense of being happy and euphoric why would i want to let it go and you know as opposed to other disorders where the distress may be so much that a person themselves may walk up and you know go to therapy or get the treatment but with substance mm-hmm. abuse it's a tricky place to be in because you wouldn't want to stop doing it because of course your brain is also not stopping you from doing it at the same time they may feel exposed or embarrassed so it's very important that we first of all recognize that it's a disease and establish a trustful and bonding relationship because criticizing or nagging or calling people names for consuming the substance and the effect that it has can lead to further distance and it may make them more resistant to listen to you and hear you out so i think building that relationship having a communication that is not threatening i feel like so many teens like if mm. their friends are taking drugs they very casually just be like you know if you don't stop i'm going to stop if you don't stop taking uh, drugs mm-hmm. i'm going to stop talking to you right right and they use these threatening ways to sort of get them to stop i don't think they realize that right it's only going to make it worse right and eventually <laughs> it's going to desensitize them to that as well yeah yeah exactly they'll be, they, they probably won't care at at this one point they'll leave you behind they won't care they'll be like right. you know doctor me that's fine you know i right. i i much rather take these drugs or do this do that mm-hmm. because like i mean at the end it just feels like you then you're controlling them rather than wanting to help them it looks like you're trying to control them right and exactly trying to control anybody i don't think is a very good thing right and and it's going to lead to an immediate shut off you know they won't be standing there with open arms saying that okay come tell me what to do and i'll do it yeah yeah then, yeah and then also then you'll feel like they feel like there won't be any difference between their parents and their friends you know they thought right. their friends are probably someone who could they could talk to but it it obviously seem like you mm-hmm. know not not that way to them when their friends only talk like you know stop doing this or I'll stop right. talking to you right. i feel like right. uh, yeah right. although adding that i would say that confrontation is important at some point but it's just how you are going to uh, you yeah. know confront them mm-hmm. yeah for sure i mean people need to know how to confront obviously right so uh, yeah that was uh, quite a good episode uh, yeah. i learned a lot learned a lot from you i feel like mm. uh, i started drop bio in 10th and then after that it just felt like oh this is the most bio i myself ever have after i tested so thank you shaira for being with All us right. thank you for having me and to everyone who's listening clear thank you for listening and i'll see you in the next episode